0: Our second lesson, uh, we have been studying through or making our way through the gospel according to John. Today we are in chapter 11, beginning at verse 17 and reading through verse 44. Again, I invite you to turn in your Bibles and to follow along as I read. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, Who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. We come today to the last of the seven signs that we have spoken of so frequently throughout our study of John's gospel as we Learn in the closing of his account, John has included these signs so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing they might have life in his name. Jesus himself in his prayer here indicates that this sign is so that people might believe that he is the promised one sent by the Father. As we noted last week, uh, upon hearing that his good and beloved friend Lazarus it was deathly ill, Jesus remained where he was in Bethany beyond the Jordan until he knew in his spirit that Lazarus had died. And then he and his disciples set out on the four-day journey to Bethany in Judea. Jesus' delay was deliberate. He was not mistaken that Lazarus' illness would not lead to death, but rather that Lazarus' death would serve as the necessary precondition for Jesus to perform a sign so mind-boggling that only one conclusion could be reached with any integrity, that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and a sign so awe-inspiring that people would be moved to give God the glory. John reminds us that as Jesus and his disciples drew near to Bethany, that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Commentators frequently point to a rabbinic understanding that the soul of the deceased lingered for three days following the cessation of life, looking for an opportunity to return to the body, but that after that time it would indeed depart. Now, whether such an understanding dates all the way back to the time of Jesus is debatable, but the point here is that there was no longer doubt in anyone's mind that Lazarus was dead and gone. John also wants us to realize that Jesus has returned to Bethany in Judea, that this small village was extremely close to Jerusalem, where Jesus' greatest enemies reside. And that the proximity of this village has resulted in many Jews from Jerusalem coming to comfort and console Mary and Martha in their time of grief. This tells us something about the prominence of Lazarus and his family, that there would be a significant number of people gathered around at various times throughout their period of mourning. But knowing this, Jesus sends a messenger on ahead to alert Martha that he is drawing near. And she immediately departs to meet him along the road. And they are given a moment of privacy. And when she meets him, her first words give indication, I think, that all the while Lazarus has been ill. She and Mary have been praying that Lazarus would hold on until Jesus arrives. For they have every confidence that should the master get there in time, all will be well. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now as I have said on more than one occasion, as I have preached upon this text before, we have no way of knowing the tonal Quality that Martha puts to these words. Some have interpreted her words to be something of a mild rebuke. Others have suggested that Martha is merely stating a fact without any emotional baggage attached to it. And some have heard in her words a kind of sorrowful regret along the lines of, oh, if only circumstances had been different. Whatever her tone communicated she is quick to affirm that her faith in Jesus has not been shaken by this turn of events, for she knows that even now, whatever Jesus asks of the Father, the Father will give him. Jesus' response to her is characterized by D.A. Carson as a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. For Jesus says, your brother will rise again, which Martha quickly affirms. And for any good Jew of the Pharisaical sect, this may have been a common word of comfort in times like this, for they believed in the resurrection of the body while the Sadducees did not. But when words like this are found on the lips of Jesus, they are more than a trite word of comfort. They are a promise that cannot be denied. Jesus is stating something that was more than an uncertain but hopeful doctrinal belief of a particular sect. He was stating an eschatological fact that will be true at the end of the age. And Jesus is about to give them all a demonstration of this great truth. Martha assures Jesus that she believes in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus wants Martha to realize something truly significant. It isn't simply that there will be an event at the end of time known as the resurrection of the dead. It is that all will rise from the dead because they hear the voice of command of the Messiah. Do you remember what Jesus said earlier in our study, chapter 5, about verse 25? Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And then a couple of verses later, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And now Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the fifth I am statement that John Includes And it sounds a bit contradictory, I suppose, until we realize that Jesus is speaking of two separate but complementary things. One is our physical death, that the majority of people will experience unless they happen to be alive at the time of Christ's second coming. But Jesus is saying that all those who believe in him, even though their bodies will succumb to death, Their bodies will one day be resurrected from the dead to be reunited with their souls which upon their death went to be present with the Lord. And their new resurrected body will no longer be plagued with sin. It will have been fully redeemed. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Secondly, Jesus is declaring to Martha that everyone who places their faith in Christ as Savior will experience an inner reality, a spiritual resurrection. That Jesus mentioned also earlier in chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is a present reality for all those who believe in Christ. While they are living this mortal life, they can forego any judgment to come by trusting Jesus, and in so doing, they will bypass the spiritual death that awaits all those who reject him. Instead, they will have an assurance of life eternal. And Jesus asks Martha if she believes this, and she definitely gives the right answer, although we will realize a little later that she's not understanding Jesus' words as being a present reality. And what she says is comparable to Peter's affirmation of faith. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Whatever other words passed between the two of them we do not know John gives to us the most significant part of their conversation, and then Jesus presumably asks Martha to tell Mary where he is so that he might have a moment of private conversation with her as well. And when Mary receives this word, she quickly rises and rushes down the road to where Jesus is, but she brings with her an entourage. The Jews who have been sitting with the sisters assume that Mary is headed to the tomb to grieve there for a while and they follow her out of the house only to be surprised at her destination. And when she finds Jesus, she falls before him and she echoes what Martha said earlier. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And her tears are flowing and the Jews who have been With her, they are weeping as well, and there was probably some professional mourners among them as they were accustomed to doing in Jesus' day. You may remember the story of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, whose 12-year-old daughter was near death, and he came to Jesus, and he threw himself at his feet, and he implored Jesus to come and heal his little girl. And before they reach the home, messengers arrive with the sad news that the little girl has died. And they advise the ruler to no longer trouble Jesus. And Jesus says to him, do not fear, only believe. And when they arrive at the home, it says that Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And he tells them that the child is not dead, but only sleeping. And they mock him for being so dense. And so Jesus puts them all out of the house. And then he, three of his disciples and the girl's parents, enter the room where her dead body lies. Jesus takes her by the hand, commands her to rise, which she does. I share that with you because Jesus has no patience for the faux tears, that many offered in his day, which is probably why John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Some translations give a different flavor to this by saying that Jesus was indignant. The Greek word that John uses carries a sense of outrage or anger with it. Outside the New Testament, this word can refer to the snorting of horses. And we get the sense that in this crowd that has accompanied Mary that there are those who are feigning their grief and Jesus is disturbed by this and he wants to end the charade on the part of some by accomplishing what he came to do and so he asks where has Lazarus been buried and when he himself arrives at the tomb he weeps the Jews who have come Largely interpret Jesus' tears as a sign that he deeply loved Lazarus. But this may not be the major reason behind Jesus' tears. Surely his love for this family would have invoked tears for what they have been put through. But Jesus' tears may have been connected more to the death sentence. That every man, woman, and child must endure because of the sin of Adam. And in that sense, Jesus is standing beside every man's grave in this moment. And he knows that this heartache and sorrow that Mary and Martha are experiencing will be repeated again and again and again because sin was allowed to enter God's good creation. And while he knows that he is about to do something about this spiritual condition, he also knows that there are many who will reject his gracious offer and this brings the Savior sorrow. In the same way that Jesus laments over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, so he is moved to tears over the human condition. But there are some in this crowd who cannot help but see failure in what is unfolding. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Now this is the opposite of Martha who acknowledges That had Jesus been with them, Lazarus would not have died. He would have been cured. But even though he was not there, she has not lost faith in him. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And perhaps Jesus catches wind of this critical murmur out there in the crowd because John tells us that Jesus was again indignant. Same Greek word. And in response, Jesus commands them to remove the stone. Well, this command must have seemed incomprehensible to the Jews. To interact with a dead body resulted in a seven-day period of ritual uncleanness that would have kept Jesus from entering the temple or any tabernacle and would have required a purification process as well as the original social distancing from others so as not to transfer this uncleanness to them. And as a recognized rabbi, Jesus could not have entered the tomb for to be in the mere presence of a dead body, such as in a tent or in a house, resulted in an unclean disposition, whether you touch the body or not. And Martha, who has just affirmed to Jesus that she believes that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, steps forward in an attempt to dissuade Jesus from doing this with a friendly reminder that Lazarus did not die today. He died four days ago. And by now his body has begun to decay and rot. The King James Version puts it as he stinketh. But while she indicated that she believed that Jesus was the resurrection and the life, she obviously did not comprehend the magnitude of that declaration. To believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life is to acknowledge that He has mastery or authority over death in the grave. Death, you see, is not natural to us human beings. You will frequently hear people comment that death is just another part of life. No, it is not. We were created for life. We were intended to be in living relationship with our Creator. Death entered the scene when we rebelled against God's sovereignty and we blatantly disregarded His command. It is here at our invitation and not by God's design. And the Savior has come to reverse the effects of our sin and to set free from this imprisonment to sin all those who belong to Him. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 has this argument that there is a war going on between his inner man and his. His body of flesh that is controlled by his sin. The good he wants to do is sabotaged by his sinful inclinations. And the things that he hates that he does not want to do, that's what he ends up doing. And he finally declares, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question with a word of praise. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this setting the body free from the effects of sin is accomplished by Jesus. And in this dramatization that is playing out in Bethany of Judea, it is symbolized in the removal of the stone. In answer to Martha's word of advice, Jesus responds by saying, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Death is no match for the author of life. Do not fear, only believe. And with that, the stone is rolled away and Jesus offers a prayer, not because He's pleading with the Father to hear Him now and answer Him favorably because the Father and the Son are in constant communication. Jesus already knows that what is about to occur will occur because Jesus has known for a long time that this episode would happen in this way and at this time. Jesus knows what this event will do among those who have been sitting on the fence toying with the notion of following after him as a disciple or valuing more their access to the temple courts. But he also knows that this event will set in motion a more concerted effort to arrest him and try him for blasphemy. And so his prayer is not for any other reason than to demonstrate before these witnesses that the lines of communication between Father and Son is real and they are about to witness evidence of this because what is about to happen could only happen if what Jesus has been saying all along is true. That God the Father has sent him. And John indicates that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. The word John uses here will show up on more occasions as he finishes his gospel. It is a word that gives us a sense of a passionate scream. It is used when the people cry out during the triumphal entry and they cry, Hosanna, But then it appears as that crowd cries out for Barabbas to be released. And then they cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And they cry out to Pilate that he's no friend of Caesar's if he does not crucify Jesus. And so you see that it is not simply about raising one's voice a few decibels. There is emotion connected with this cry. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. There are those who have vowed that had Jesus not called out Lazarus specifically, that all the dead would have risen. For such is the authority of the Lord of life. And I will not take issue with that idea. How dramatic must this moment have been The Jews from Jerusalem are all standing around not believing what is playing out in front of them. Mary and Martha are staring in wide-eyed anticipation, filled with a kind of anxious excitement over the possibility that their brother is being returned to them. The disciples of Jesus who initially thought this funeral trip was ill-advised are all thinking, if Lazarus walks out of that tomb, I will then have seen everything. And any antagonists of Jesus in the crowd are thinking, if Lazarus walks out of that tomb, I'm going immediately to the Sanhedrin and report that Jesus is interfering with proper burial procedure. And in just a moment, the soul of Lazarus returns to his body his dead and decaying body, and in obedience to the Lord of life, he shuffled out of that tomb like a prisoner, shackled in handcuffs and leg irons, and I imagine that people reflexively shrank back in fear and awe over what Jesus of Nazareth had just done. But beloved, as wondrous as that moment must have been, that same event is dramatically played out each and every day. As the same Spirit of God that rebreathes life into Lazarus, breathes life into the souls of men and women whose name Jesus calls out. Let there be no mistake, the Lord of life has not finished with his work of setting people free from their bondage to sin. He has not finished his work of saving sinners. The good shepherd continues to leave the 99 in search of the one, calling their specific name, pursuing them in spite of their resistance and rebellion, wooing them to his love, weeping over their misguided lives, offering to them the gracious gift of his atoning work and urging them to come to him in repentance and faith. And this is where, We are called upon to respond. Even though our earthly bodies are plagued with sin and we do not always do what our inner man wants us to do, we have the capacity to come to Jesus in faith. We must never think that, that we will only come once we've cleaned up ourselves because that is impossible for us to do. We can only come to Him broken and helpless hobbling to Jesus in need of his sanctifying power. For he and he alone will transform us from one degree of glory to another if we come. So will you come, just as you are, broken and helpless, in need of the one who is the resurrection and the life. If you've never made that decision, I invite you to do so, even now as we pray. Please bow your heads with me.